Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. This is your host, Zach, and always with me is... It can only be Jared. Okay. You did this once before, like 20 episodes well, ago. What else am I supposed to like go off of? Like... Give me another popular Jared reference and I'll run with it. I have one, but it's not a good one. So we're going to continue. <laughs> What's your bad one? Subway. <laughs> That's the only other Jared so I can want, think of. So you want me to come in with like an eat fresh type don't, of thing? Don't. That Jared's not a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, but welcome back to Puzzling Company. On this episode, we are going to be discussing Taco Tuesday. How do you spell Tuesday? T-W-O-S-D-A-Y. And today is the only day that that's the appropriate way to spell Tuesday. That's correct. Uh, in this game, Jared and I are going to be working for different organizations who are trying to solve this case and defeat the guacamole. The dadgum block. I don't know what I dislike more, whether it's the Flower Bureau of Investigation or the guacamole. It's pretty rough. If you'd like to learn more about what we're speaking of, stick around. All right, Jared, I got to cut out a little early today. I have an interview. An interview? You didn't tell me about that. Where at? What soup? Oh, nice. I've heard really great things about the soup shed off of I-24. So come on down to the soup shed. No, Jared. Soup is a society for the observation of unknown phenomena. They actually sent me my first case as a test. Take a look at this folder. Why is this folder full of pictures of me? Well, they are all about documenting the weird and bizarre. If you'd like a chance to join Soup, head on over to crackinutmysteries.com. How did they get this picture of me in the shower? Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the first segment of the show that is where we talk about the game. This is kind of a spot of the show where Jared and I get to discuss the things we liked about the game, as well as, you know, no game's perfect. We'll put out some room for improvements in our opinion, right? Uh, this is not meant to dog the game. Uh, we love these games just as much as you guys and we just want games to get better. So, 100%. That's what we're all about. Uh, Jared, can you please tell the listeners at home or wherever they're at, what is this game about? So, narratively, we have been assigned two different organizations that we are a part of who are collectively working to bring down the guacamole, who is this, how would you describe him, Zach? A thief of sorts, a bandit, a rogue-like figure. I would call him a master thief. He technically steals all of the guacamole in the world. It's one of the most heinous crimes, and we have solved a lot of crimes, but I can think of none more nefarious than this one. I'd also describe him as the mole from Super Mario Brothers' head on Sasquatch <laughs> holding a bag of guacamole. <laughs> There's a pretty awesome visual representation of the guacamole when you play this game. You should buy this game just to get that picture. It's pretty great. It's, it's right above my computer right now. It's it's a pretty fantastic characterization, and it is a good jump off to showing that this game doesn't take itself too seriously. But you are working your way to narrowing down where the mole is, and this game follows a pretty standard in terms of how the gameplay works of you solving puzzles and opening envelopes once you've solved the puzzles until you get to get to the very end of the story. Pretty standard 
gameplay mechanics in play here, mm-hmm. except for one very big twist in format, which is honestly our starting place for what we really liked about this game. And I'll throw it back to you, Zach. Yeah, we really love the format. In this game, uh, we split up into two teams and we are helping each other try to complete individual puzzles that are half done. Yes. Is the way I'd explain it. A classic split team format. Correct. Uh, Jared worked for the corn. What was it? The corn intelligence. How dare you forget the corn intelligence agency over there sitting in there. Classic flower bureau of investigation condescension. I won't stand for it, sir. I won't stand for it. Well, you guys were dumb enough to ask for our help. Anyways, (laughs) as you can see, we worked for two different organizations who were both working on the same goal of trying to narrow down and find the guacamole. Um, It was a blast actually being able to do this format because in most games that we played that do have this potential split aspect or that it's like co-op, sometimes it feels like we, there's not enough for us to both do. Yes. And in this game, it clearly with the, how the format plays, we both get half of the puzzle. And it was really fun getting to have like our own thing that I got to look at and deal with while Jared had his own half of it. And then having to communicate. I would say most of the puzzles were communication puzzles. Absolutely. They required a little bit of solving on each of the individual organizations or in the individual player side. But yeah, once you knew what you were trying to do, it purely came down to communication. Yes. Also, to be very clear, they recommend you not be anywhere near your partner when you're playing this game. So for us, um, we unfortunately don't have the greatest size table where we can be 20 feet apart. Uh, we decided to take boxes of audio equipment <laughs> build and, a put it, and build a barrier between us so that we couldn't see our... It was effective, phone. though. It worked. Like, yeah, It, it worked stuff. great. And, uh, and it's funny because... Depending on how you play this, there also is like a little bit of rivalry between the two organizations that are investigating it. And it doesn't distinctly say that, but that's just kind of how Zach and I operate as like, oh, we played together the entire game, but nothing was funnier after the game being like, oh, well, you guys were the dumb ones. You clearly need our help. You know, it's because I feel like, you know, any classic crime show, you know, when the when the FBI shows up to the local PD, it's like there's, you know, there's kind of a little bit of a. a little disregard for both organizations, you know, it kind of turns into a little bit of like a a pride festival. I don't want to use some other things that I'm thinking of right now. I also think it was like a, there was one puzzle specifically that I finished first and I had to wait on you to understand how we were doing it, which that was a blast. Anyways, it was just a lot of fun. And then to kind of move on to another part that we've already kind of discussed, the tone of this game is hilarious. It's wonderful. Like, it's low stakes. It is well, and it isn't. Okay, it how is dare and you? it isn't. <laughs> okay, all of the guacamole in the world being abducted and stolen is a huge deal. This was but this was the highest low stakes game that we've ever played. Correct. The world's not ending. I mean, it is technically if you don't have your guacamole. I mean, yeah, let's define like what's world ending here. Like, slow down a second. But uh, it'd be very tragic if the world just lost all their guacamole. Yes. Um, but. It's it just a very light tone. There's a lot of puns. They so many. Puns. They made it very clear they love puns and jokes. There is even one point with a certain puzzle that Jared and I had to do that was kind of like a decoder that just had a good time with that. Said least we loved it, and I think the lesson here is that when you achieve your tone as well as this game does, it covers up a lot of other faults right like you're not going to hear us in this episode hear us talk about how immersive this game was that wasn't what this game was trying to do this game was trying to be funny 
This game was trying to make players just have a good time puzzling. And in that, it succeeded greatly. So in my book, this is one of the, like a really great, really, really great game that we played. Like I loved it. We laughed and it really just hit its tone target so, so well. It landed. It landed really well. Yeah. I also thought as a third point, the puzzling was well done. It was. I I really enjoyed the split style puzzling. It was enjoyable to try to figure out my end of it at times because how it would it, how it felt like it worked is sometimes I would have the part that Jared would need specifically like Jared would be the person who has quote unquote the least information and it would be on me to help set up their puzzle and then it would work the opposite like yes I would have something clearly it was like I have no idea what this is or what I'm supposed to do with it and then Jared would have to be the instructor to me and we'd have to kind of communicate what I saw like as an example, you might get some pieces of paper that have a bunch of letters on them. And you're like, okay, I have literal no idea how to organize this. And Jared's like, oh, well, I have this piece of paper that's green. And you're like, oh my gosh, me too. And then, you know, it, you're, then you're, then you're running. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to talk about that a little bit because I, I think this was done really, really well yeah. in terms of the split experience, because there was never a time that our puzzles weren't the same information, but different in information. And what I mean by that is every single time we got to a new envelope, the other person, even though they were looking for information, they could talk you through the procedure. Yeah. Because the puzzles were never different. Zach was never working on a cipher while I was working on, let's say like a traditional jigsaw puzzle Yeah. to where if he understood how bringing the formation of the puzzle worked, that he couldn't communicate that to me. Yeah. They never gave us different things yet the information and sometimes the process after you figured out how to put your information together was different enough that when you were now working on the communication aspect it flowed perfectly. So it was really, really, really well thought out, in my opinion, because you can very easily screw up a split team experience and it inevitably becomes one team working while the other team is just twiddling their thumbs. And that did not happen in this game. No. So A plus on thoughtful split team puzzle design. I thought they absolutely nailed it. Yeah. Overall, it was just, we had a blast. Like, We've talked about this before, but any game where we can laugh, where we can give each other a hard time, I think the world needs a mixture of low stake and high stake games to kind of balance each other out. There's, I still think more great low stake games are out there. Would you agree with that? I agree. Most of what we play is high stake, you know, lives are on the line. And again, don't get me wrong. I don't want to downplay guacamole. Like the guacamole is just an evil, heinous creature and deserves to be sought out and put behind bars. But man, it was just so goofy good. Yeah. So goofy good. Like it, it was just a lot of fun to play this game. Mm-hmm. Zach, let's let's move now to talking about room for improvements. Where would you start the conversation on maybe where there's some things they could have done better or where there's some missed opportunities? What would you say? Yeah, I'd say the first thing that we both thought of was the quality of the contents. You know, like everything about it was great. The issue became it was all paper products. Like, like just straight paper. Yeah. Like it was like you get like a cool folder that it comes in. But then when you open it up, it's two paper products. And then the next puzzle is a paper product. The third one's a paper product. And, you know, it ends up being the same medium, I should yes. call it, of yes. paper product 
over and over and over again. And that's not to say that they didn't use it creatively. Like I felt like puzzle to puzzle. But if this isn't a split team experience, mm -hmm. I think we would be riding this point even harder. Yeah, I agree. It, I mean, like I said, I think we were talking about this earlier. What the game did so well is cover up that stuff enough yes. that it didn't bother me as bad. Right. The format completely was the hero and did a great job and covered up a lot of things. I agree. Yeah, because it didn't really bother me as much when we played it. But afterwards, it was a thing of like when we looked at all the contents, you know, and spread it out and talked about it. It was like, OK, it, it is 15 pieces of paper. Yes, it ends up being there is an online element. Um, I thought that part was great. Uh, and that had a much like a little bit of different creative stuff in it and had like a good hint system. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the material get in person, it's just paper. And I think it's not, I don't mean this to be so much as a criticism as when I was looking back at it, I was like, oh, you could do so much more with this. Like it, yeah. the design could be better. Not the puzzle design, just like the physical components, they could look a little bit sharper. And then I think this becomes like a much more high quality sought after game. It felt like, we think the content is good and then we're going to try to keep this project as within budget as reason. It's interesting you say that because I could think of like, I don't want to spoil how the puzzle works, but I'm just going to say these and you'll understand it. Yes. It's like the lettuce and cheese puzzle. Yes. If, if the paper it was on was higher quality and made it look more like the product, I think that would have been pretty cool. It would have been fun. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, but, I, I see what you're saying. So that's what I mean. Like, it, I think the puzzle, like, like we're, we're trying to keep saying it, the content was great. Yes. It's just like if that content looked a little bit better in terms of like upping the quality, like making it look a little bit more like the item that it's supposed to yes. be and stuff like that. I think that would feed really into it and people would love that. Yeah, I think I think this game goes like becomes even better at this, this point because, again, it's the same thing in reverse. Like sometimes there's really high aesthetic games and that helps cover up other things. Mm -hmm. So and and I think the other point of this too is like we just have to compare sometimes apples to oranges. Like other people for around the same price point are giving you more of an aesthetic appeal of a higher quality item appeal. Mm -hmm. And that just that just has to be talked about. Yeah. The the other thing that I would mention, and this isn't I, I would put this somewhere in between a like and a room for improvement, is just a gameplay quirk that I would be aware of if I'm playing this game. This game has a lot of, I would call them section to section meta puzzles. Is that a fair way to say that? I think I know what you mean, yeah. So every time that you get into a new envelope, be prepared for it to follow the same pattern of having a meta before you get to the next envelope. That's yeah. not something that we've really run into before that took us a little off guard. Yeah, the game very much functions as we both have a split puzzle, we both work on it, we complete both our answers, and then you get a meta to goes, okay, you figured all this out. Now add it all together and figure out what you need. Right. And then you'd solve that and be a congratulation. Now open up next thing. Right. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. And then until you did the end. Right. And, and you think, you think we would have learned, but it was every time you weren't sure if we were going to keep coming back to that format. And I liked it. Mm -hmm. Like it made for some interesting puzzling that you had to keep aware of. But I would just throw that out there to anyone listening. I would say definitely play this game. It is very unique based just on its form and alone, and it's hilarious and punny and wonderful. But that's something to be aware of as you go through is it feels like sticking points, especially for new players, would be right before they're about to transition to the next envelope if they're not prepared for that. 
And I don't know if that's an, would you say that's an onboarding? you think that's something that needs to be mentioned at the beginning of the game? It's hard. I really didn't feel like it was that big of an issue except for, and I say an issue, it only came up once in our experience that it really hit us that to explain it without telling too much, Jared had been doing something at the same time as we were solving something else and he didn't realize it. Yes. And then the, in the hint system, apparently it's happened before people are like, oh, well, we're solving this puzzle. And while you're doing it, you're supposed to see potentially something come up and Jared didn't take note of it. So then it became like this weird thing that at the end we were like, oh, we didn't notice that, you know, and we weren't prepared to deal with that again. And, but right. We, in essence, we had to rework a puzzle to get, to get back to the meta answer that we needed to move on. Yeah. To get part of our meta. And it's, yeah. and it seemed like our interpretation of the hint system, which was by the way, a good hint system. Oh, it's very good. Very good hint system. Uh, was that, oh, this happens a lot, so they threw this in there be- to make people aware who yeah. were getting caught up on that point. Mm-hmm. So I guess my only wondering, again, not against it as a means of moving the game forward, I thought it was actually quite clever how some of them were hidden. Yeah, But it, it was a question of like, I, I feel like people should maybe be aware of that on the front end. So you think like maybe in their introductory letter, it explains like you will solve two puzzles together and then do big, then do one puzzle together to. Yeah. And just the consistency of doing that. Every that, time. that is the exact format. Yes. Of the entire game. Okay. I could be way off. Just again, this is us having a podcast about our personal experience with the game. And that was a little bit of a sticking point for us. Okay. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But that's really going to wrap it up. Like, don't hear those two things and be like, eh, this this is an easy pickup, in our oh, opinion. This is definitely, I, I enjoy all the games we play, but this was one that I expected. Like, when I saw it, I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. And then I read it, and I was like, okay, this is going to be kind of goofy. And then we laughed, like, half the game. It, it was a good time. It's It's a blast. And you should definitely... Stick around to our final section to meet the creators. It will yes. It will open your eyes to see like, oh, these are the two awesome human being goofballs who made this game and it totally makes sense. Yep. And I hope they keep making games together for a really long time because I will continue to buy them and play them. Agreed. That's going to wrap us up for our first section. We've got Puzzles to the People coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. I'm over it. Over what? Christmas. People can't let this holiday go, man. I'm still receiving Christmas-themed mail. Look at this red envelope I got yesterday. Jared, you are so uncultured. Uncultured? Because I refuse to celebrate Christmas year-round? No, you're uncultured because one, that color is scarlet, not red. And two... Because that envelope is jammed packed with puzzles and mysteries. Scarlet Envelope features escape room style experiences that you may receive every month in the mail. Each episode features a different story, but all their experiences are tied together in a bigger narrative that you are trying to unravel. I think I could get down with Christmas all year. Well, head on over to scarletenvelope.ca to start your adventures today. Welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company. You're in the section of the show called Puzzle to the People. We do a lot of different things here. More often than not, we're having conversations about topics that directly relate to the games that we play. Sometimes we're looking at reviews. It just depends on the mood of the day that we're in and the game that we play. And today, I think it would just be a disservice to not dive into split team games more. It is, in my opinion, a vastly underused format. We experience it on a number of different mediums. We've played them in escape rooms. Some of our favorite video games are split team type format games. 
it seems underused. Would you would you agree with that, Zach? Like, I'm trying to think of other games that maybe not their entire game like that, but even like try to utilize that as a part of their game. So like, in, to be very specific, you're talking about co-op games that have a split puzzle mechanic in right. terms of we have to work together and we're solving essentially the exact same thing. Correct. Yeah, not a lot of games do it. Not that I know of. Like, for example, we've played through the We Were Here series. Yes. Which is three games that you can play on Steam and I think most consoles. Yes. Um, but it is a split puzzle experience in terms of we both get split up in this gigantic castle um, without telling narrative, but we're there. And then we both have to solve puzzles. And, and most of it is pure communication. Like, I have this and you're locked in a different room. Discuss. Yeah, completely cannot see what the other person sees. Correct. There's the only way that information gets shared is communication. We've played what TikTok a tale for two. TikTok a tale for two. That has an element of that. Oh yeah, that's it. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, outside of that, and then in, of course Taco Tuesday. There's not many games that I remember lately that we've played or that I see a lot that are made purely as split puzzle experiences. I think Unlock has one. Okay. But I don't think we've played that one yet. Not that I know yeah, of. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. But I believe I believe there are some other ones out there, but I guess I'm just wondering why why, why not why not do it more? We see it like we mentioned uh we've played escape room style games. Uh, we've had one. Skinner's box at our Murfreesboro location was a split team experience. Yeah. And a lot of people really enjoyed that challenge. Now it has its sticking points and we'll get there, but sure. why, why, why isn't this format being used more in your opinion? I think, and this is pure speculation. I think it's hard making very good puzzles that are good for both sides. Cause you have to make a puzzle that is a good puzzle in general or a great puzzle to clarify. But then you also have to make it that it's fun for both parties. You know, because if let's say you make a split game experience, but all of it is literally like, okay, I watch Jared do most of it, and I but I give him like two details. Sure. That's not fun. That's not a fun experience for me. But like I, I think it's almost difficult to make a game that is so split team based that has a very good puzzle, but then gives both people enough info and things to work on. And I think that's where I think that's where most of it comes to an issue, I, I would guess. So you're speculating that it's purely this is you're saying this is a harder game to make. In my opinion, I would think so. It's like creating two different experiences, right? You'd have to like make my point of view when we play Taco Tuesday and go, okay, this is what the Flower Bureau investigation has to deal with. And this is how they're gonna they're gonna flow. You know, and then you look at the corn intelligence agency and you look at theirs and you go, okay, this is how they flow the entire game. Okay, and now let's look at that puzzle as a whole. How does it work well? What does it struggle with? And I think that's just difficult to find puzzles like that that work so well as individual puzzles for the person, but then work super well combined. I like what you're saying because you're bringing up the point that you're talking about not just one collective experience anymore. You're talking about two wildly different experiences that now have to make a collective experience. Correct. Right. In a classic game, if I'm stuck, I say, Zach, like I'm not making any progress on this. Does this mean anything to you? That doesn't happen in this game. No, it can't happen at all. And that can create some major, major sticking points. I'll yeah. talk a little bit about my experience. If you're cool with that. Sure. So we used to have a game at uh, Murfreesboro escape rooms called Skinner's box. 
In its first iteration, teams were split into two. In its second iteration, the team was split into four groups. And it was simultaneously a game that people really loved and really struggled with. And a lot of that came to one big thing that I think is so difficult in split team games, and that's pacing. Like you said, your pacing has to add up on both sides. If one is lagging, the group that is puzzling is puzzling, and the other group is just sitting there doing absolutely nothing, and they feel completely helpless. Yep. And they may be completely helpless because that person in the other room has the information they needed or they're not speaking it clearly enough. We watched this game for three to four years and I would still go back and make changes to that game. It's so difficult to nail that. It was hard. I, I, you know, from running it and, you know, seeing it as it went on until we got rid of it, right? It was, uh, people really loved it. It was a really fun team-based game. But, you know, we used to also not do private events. And when you had another group of people that didn't oh, yeah. that didn't want to do it as much as the other team, then that really caused issues too. Because you can't, you know, obviously when it's like us two playing a game or if you decide to play down or sit down and play like a Taco Tuesday or, or some split game experience, you both know going into it, that's what you want to achieve. And right. You're fine with that. Right. But when, at least in the escape room, in, in our experience with, with Skinner's Box, was that you would get team you'd get team A that really wanted to do it and knew that it was going to potentially be split up. And then when we didn't do private event, you'd have team B come in and they didn't feel the exact same way. Yes. And then when they struggled, it basically became this thing of like, oh, team A was really doing well, but they have to have team B tell them things and team B would not. Or they were so behind that you're like, it, it was just, it's it's stunk to watch people get stuck like that because it felt bad because you knew both teams wanted to achieve and in specifically in that example, Team A wanted it a lot more. Yes. Um, it's just hard. I think pacing is a very difficult thing to nail. Because even in... Even in a non-split experience, it's difficult to yeah, nail. Yeah, like, because in, you know, in Taco Tuesday, I thought they did it almost perfect. And I don't mean that, like, in terms of, like, oh, it was bad because I said not perfect. It, I think at one point I waited on Jared. But that was because I got, I wouldn't say lucky, but I just kind of figured out the rest of my puzzle. And I was like, okay, I just need to now wait and communicate sure. to him. But it wasn't an uncomfortable amount of time. No, no, it's not like a game where I'm like, okay, I clearly have to wait 10 minutes for Jared. Right. That would not be fun. Sure. And the thing that I, I, I want to come back to this point that we made earlier in the show. I think what makes this game smooth out so many of those issues and what I think a lot of people could learn in creating a split experience is I think we think that we have to give that we have to give players unique items and unique experiences to make everything fun. But what we learned in Taco Tuesday, our favorite puzzle was the onion decoder. Not to spoil too much. It is a kind of ciphery decoding part of the game, but we both had a decoder. I wasn't working on a decoder while Zach was working on some other type of puzzle, right? Every single puzzle mirrored each other in format. It just, they, the nuances between it made it work. And I feel like that is something key to the experiences when you're splitting up let them at least be talking about the same thing, even though the information is different. Yeah. And that solved, in my opinion, so many different problems and where so many split experiences. Well, you're over there working on wires of different colors, but I've got, you know, animals running around the room that I need to count. Like, it's just like, no, 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 let's, let's talk about the same thing. Like, let's make them both apples, but different 
in some ways. Well, yeah, like if I had wires, you should have like a layout of the room that has wires. Like it looks like you could see where wires would be laid right. out. So then that it would be like a a format of like, okay, we both have the same thing, but you're trying to help me realize where those wires go or what to cut. Yes. In that in that example. What else about the split format is really engaging to you? I enjoyed the and I don't know how Jared felt about this. In my opinion, I really enjoyed trying to figure out what Jared had. That was kind of another fun experience huh. was like, you know, because I would see my puzzle and I go, okay, I have no idea how this works. You know, and it would be a thing of like, okay, Jared has my information. You know, but I'm like thinking of how, okay, well, I have this, but now in my head, I'm imagining how I'd lay this out. Yes. And then what would Jared have that would make this make any sense? And that was kind of a fun aspect to me is like trying to imagine when you were discussing it, what yours looked like without seeing it. Because then I had to like work through that puzzle myself and go, okay, well, like, you know, Jared explains it looking kind of like a book, you know, as an as an example quote. I'd be like, okay, now I have to think of this as a book and try to really figure out how I think this would format into a book style. I will, I'm going to make a conjecture here. Okay. I think split experiences does teamwork and overall player involvement better than the regular format. Agree or disagree? Interesting. So split does it better? Does it better? Yeah, I'd agree. Why? Because it it also makes a thing of that both teammates have to do the same amount of work. Yes, which is, I don't think, always the case for us in any other game. As much as we try, usually Zach or myself solves more. Yeah, it depends on the game. There, I mean, just like anyone, you have things you are good at yes. or things that favor your style of gaming. Like when we play like more puzzle hunty, I think I generally do more than Jared, but you know, like when it comes to like jigsaw or more like I would say tangible, like manipulatable yes. puzzles, I think you do more. It's just like a thing that we both have our strong suits in and that's fine. And in this game, like you said, what makes it, what makes it better is that it requires both teammates to do the same amount of work. Yes. It's not a thing of like, we're all working together and you go, okay, we're going to work together. And then it ends up being like, I'm going to make an analogy to a school project (laughs) where you're like, okay, this is a teamwork thing. Okay. uh, I'm, I go play football. So I, you know, I can't actually work on the project. Jared is the, okay. Jared, we're both nerds, but Jared is the nerd. Okay. Jared, you're going to work on the project all week and you're going to like show it to me the day before and then I'll research it. But you're going to do 90% of the work, but I'm going to be like, haha, I'm too busy right now. And then the girl that's like, oh, we'll meet up, you know, for the meeting. She never shows up. So then you're like, it ends up being a, the one poor person does 80% of the project and the other people do like minimal. And every, but everyone gets their name. But on everyone the gets the name on it. Yes. And that's how, in an example, that's how it works in puzzle games. It's a thing of like, Jared could do 90% of the work and I'm just like helping along in our experience, but we both complete the game. Yes. But in this game, we both 50, 50 it. Yeah. There's just this nice sense of equality in split team games where even if you played this game, because it does recommend you can play it in even teams, the level of involvement that you're going to, you're going to get is you're going to have to communicate. You're going to have to receive communication And in other games, I think our biggest hesitancy in saying that more than two people should play it is you're just not going to get to do that much. Or there's, there isn't enough to like manipulate in terms of like tangibility. You're kind of like a, okay, well like five people can play this game, but realistically Jared's going to hold the one item. And then it's me like looking at Jared holding it and going, okay, how do I deal with that? Yeah. It, it, it just really makes everyone feel like they have a sense of doing. So I, 
I agree. I think there may be some special instances and some special games that maybe just it plays that way. But I really think split team experiences have a higher level of involvement and teamwork because the game demands it. Like it is the gating that you have decided to use in your game to force a certain way that the game is played. And I think it's so intelligent because you just feel involved. Now, I could also see an argument being made that you could say like, but I I was left out on 50% of the puzzles. Like I, I got super involved in the 50% of the puzzles that I did, but like- but you didn't do mine. Yeah. So what would you say to that person? I mean, you could replay it and just do the opposite. I mean, you know the answers, but you wouldn't know how to deal with the puzzle. That would be kind of fun. Sure. Um, but you are just as involved. Like I said, I would feel more of that way if I felt like I didn't do anything involved. You have a direct contribution to the other partner. It's not a thing of like, okay, I didn't like help him really and he solved this puzzle. I clearly had to tell you to do your puzzle and then you had to tell me clearly to do mine. So I don't feel like I'm missing out on much because yours basically would just tell me more information. Sure. So I, to that person, I get it. Maybe you want to replay it and see the other person's side. You're glad they could. But I, I think it's really more of just, it's the same thing, but just more info. So you're not really missing out on much more of the, the puzzle. The one other thing I would say that I could argue against split style games, and this is only in terms of the solo player, you cannot do this, right? Hmm, that's interesting. Because, you know, as much as people we know that like playing together, there are people who only play solo. Yes, there are some solo only players, totally. So this game can't work for you in terms of how it's meant, right? You could, I, I don't know how you'd play this split <laughs> by yourself, but, you know, it's, um, I could argue like, okay, well, you want to create more split games, but you also have to take care in mind of the people who only play by themselves. Because that's a lot of people. They just play by themselves. They try to solve their puzzles. You know, that's that's just They them. take it at their own pace. Yeah, yeah, they take it over time. That's just how it works. Um, so for them, having way more of this format won't help them. But you could argue right now, like the solo player has the best experience in terms of games available to them. Sure. Because I would say 99% of games are made for the solo player. Sure. And then there's a small bit that are like pure teamwork only. Like you need two to, you know, two to six or whatever the recommended amount is. Right? Absolutely. But I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up asking you this question. Cause I do just love this format so much. When we went on our little escape trip recently with the rest of our staff. Yeah. There were six of us. Yes. And we played nine games in a row mm-hmm. all day. It was a blast. Yes. Were there moments in that that you felt like you didn't have a equal or a desirable level of contribution? Yes. Why? Just the style puzzle or like um, in the example we had, right? Um, love all the people we went on the trip with. But we had some people who were like newer to our group and I didn't know how they function in terms of that. Or like it's the whole discussion of what you're good at. You know, I'm really, in escape rooms, Jared will tell you, I am the scavenger. I can find, I'm the person that if you lose your keys, I can find them for you. That's it. I, I'm the, I'm the mom. I just, you know, I find your keys where you left it and all that jazz. And in the games we played, scavenging was not important. No, that's true. There wasn't a whole lot of seeking. So that's the part that was frustrating in terms of like, what I'm really good at at finding very minute details it did happen actually in a few of the games we played specifically bank heist actually came into play a good, a, a good bit but in the other games it didn't matter you know and specifically i'd say abduction is a game that we played and in that one i felt like i did nothing for about 35 <laughs> percent of the game like absolutely no i sat around was just like what's going on same with uh when we played shock and awe 
um, just because of a mechanic that's in that game. But it, yeah, we had a lot of people, but I didn't do much for a lot of the games. And it, and I think a lot of it's just there's not enough for everyone to do too, sure. right? If we're all six people are doing, let's say, this, you know, um, puzzle where you have to put puzzle pieces together to show like a map, right? Only a certain amount of people can touch the screen that this puzzle pieces are on. Only so many amount of people can touch the puzzle itself when it's not huge. So it feels awkward when there's like six people huddled all over each other trying to mess with like, let's say 20 pieces, right? It doesn't work. So someone has to like, it feels like someone has to sit out to give space. Yes. And then that person does like observing or does some other role. Yeah. I bring all of this up just to say, I know we're talking about escape room experiences a lot in this episode, but all of this I think is just in the pursuit of saying like the format that you use is going to determine a lot of different things. Split. What it does really well is force involvement and teamwork. So if you're out there and you're wondering, I would I would encourage you to even just mess around. If you never publish it, great, but mess around with the mechanics of Split and maybe even borrow some to put in a traditional format game. I think it it just it does things that a traditional escape room cannot because there is no hard boundary. Right. Sorry, I don't mean to cut into this because I know this is going along. I also think this is the perfect format for people to play with friends that never played Escape Room. Sorry, Escape Room at, at home puzzle mystery games. You know why? Because no matter what, if I'm the most experienced at home puzzle mystery person and you're not, we have to work together. That's true. And that's that honestly excites me more about this game is like I could take this game and take it to a friend who's never played them and be like, OK, let's play this. And there would be no real, I mean, they might struggle a little bit more than I do, but at the end of the day, they have to, for, they're forced to do as much as I do. They are. And that's fun because they don't feel like it's a, oh, Zach carried me through all of it. Right. Zach you solved know. 90% of the puzzles. Zach's so smart. I know. He's so handsome yeah. too. Wow. You know, <laughs> and all that jazz. You're really amping up. Usually the humble brags are just about like our in-game performance. And I'm just so cool now. Now <laughs> physical attributes, like the sky's the limit. I'm a God, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course. Well, that's going to wrap us up for Puzzles to the People. Hang on, we got questions for creators coming next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Dude, I played the best game last night. Um, Jared, I thought we played all our games together. Well, well, traditionally we do, but this game was designed to be played by yourself. It's called Box One, and it's a new game from Neil Patrick Harris and Theory 11. Jared, I'm hurt. What am I supposed to just believe that there's clearly this made-up story of a game that's meant for only one person? And you couldn't even come up with something more clever than just box one. Okay, you know what? I'm done. Call me when there's a box two. Well, if you're not salty and you're looking for a truly awesome single-player experience, head to your local Target to pick up box one. If you don't have or know what Target is, beg Angela Lawson Scott to ship you a copy internationally. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section that is questions for creators. In this section, we get to talk to the amazing people who contribute and create the games that we get to play on the show. We did get to play Taco Tuesdays, so we get to talk to two hey -o. amazing creators that we had a blast to meet, and we are excited to have you guys get to hear what they said. So let's get right into it. So can you both tell us about yourselves and a little bit about the company you work for? Uh, well, I'm Mark Larson. Uh, I've worked with Trap Puzzle Rooms now for uh, right around four years. Uh, I've been in the escape room industry for a little over five. And yeah, at Trapped, I'm currently our project lead. 
um, doing a lot of designing on new projects, conceptualizing a lot of new things that we do. Uh, before uh, the end times, I was our uh, remote uh, experiences designer and manager. Uh, so I dealt with anything that wasn't at our physical spaces. So we've got like a mystery night set. We've done some custom events. We ended up building a, an ambulance escape room in Anaheim one February randomly. Um, uh, do lots of cool, fun stuff. Currently, uh, I've designed most of our audio escape adventures that we have online, uh, as well as working with Amy on our a uh, lot of the trap takeout stuff that we've worked on uh, and various projects uh, since then. Uh, before that, I worked in the board game industry for about five years. Um, and my background is in both theatrical design and mathematics, which there's puzzles are kind of a happy medium between those two. It's been fun. And I am Amy Perkle. I started working on Trapped um, in the very beginning, uh, like 10 years ago, I think, um, building a, the physical escape rooms, the in-person escape rooms. Um, and then I also left to work um, in the board game industry with Mark at the same company. That sounds like I love to work with Mark. I didn't know Mark. That's how Mark and I left. That's how we met. But anyway, uh, and then uh, came back to work for Trapped. And then I've been working with Trapped again for about five years. So before uh, before I worked in the with board games, I was a carpenter for Trapped. And then now I am the project manager. So I um, manage and coordinate all of the uh, in-person escape room builds, the physical escape room builds. And then I also... Uh, run all the logistics of takeout. So I'm the one fulfilling all the orders and answering emails and getting everything printed and stuff like that. And then um, I guess I I have done at least half of the design for all of the takeouts, but there's nothing like formalized. We have a really collaborative kind of nebulous company. So different people design different things. So um, I'm not like officially the designer of takeout. Um, it sort of depends on the project. That is, um, that is trapped and trapped. Like I said, it's a really adaptive company. It's a really small company. We function a little bit more like a, a design studio at times um, where we're producing and making lots of stuff. I think we're really unique in the escape room world because absolutely everything we design and build and run ourselves, we don't have any outside um, escape room designers. We don't even bring out outside builders. It's three of us that do all the carpentry um, and the two owners do all the electronic stuff. So everything is really in-house. Um, sorry, my dog Waffles is whining. So yeah, just a really, you know, you don't want to be that company that's like, we're like a family, but it's definitely because their owners are mother and son um, and it's such a small, tight-knit crew. It really is a very good collaborative um, thing. And we, most of us kind of go way back. Most of us come from theater and did theater together. Gabe, the artistic director, and I went to undergrad together. So um, it's just a really great company to work for. You guys have escape rooms as well as like varying digital experiences. What do you think the advantages of your takeout products have over your other style of games? Biggest advantage for me for takeout. So we, like you said, we have all kinds of different experiences, especially if you count the ones like the mystery night live event things that we did um, before the pandemic. I'm an introvert. I really like doing puzzles with Mark, but that's kind of it. I really like doing puzzles by myself or me and Mark. You know, I have a partner and he's also great to do puzzles with, but really I'd rather do puzzles with Mark anyway. So it's for me, the role of takeout is I can play them in my own home here. I am present. I'm experiencing it. And there's not other people talking at me. There's no game master. All the hints are online. It's much more of a tabletop experience. I really enjoy 
our audio escape adventures run much more like a role-playing game. So the, you know, the game master can really do that world building stuff, but you're still interacting with another human, which sometimes I just don't want to do. So I really enjoy that about takeout. It's here, it's on my table. I've got all these bits and bobs that I get to touch and experience. I've got hints online, but I can do it all on my own. And I like that about takeout. I don't know that's that's necessarily like the one selling point, but it's also one of our only products that you like get a thing that you keep. You know, most of our experiences are more like concert tickets or experiences, you know. You also get the ability to run it how you want to. And I like that. Mm-hmm. I There's no time limit. I don't have to kick you out after so much time or like get you through the experience more quickly. We rarely kick people out of our actual escape rooms or our audio rooms. We just try and make sure they see everything because you're not going to come back to see the ending again. Um, I don't want to ruin the full experience for you. We've got cool endings. I want you to see them. Um, but with Trap Takeout, we can design stuff that's has a much wider range of, of playtime and difficulty, and players can kind of approach it how they want to. You want a long marathon day, you're going to play a huge game all at once, go for it. If you want a couple puzzles here and there to kind of pick on over a couple weeks, fantastic. Uh, you know, our new product that's coming out, I'm sure we'll talk about more in a bit, uh, does that really well. It's got uh, almost 30 puzzles in it. You can play it one a day. You can play uh, you can play gorge mode, as we call it, to play them all at once. And I think that that flexibility to kind of meet people where they want to be is really is a really nice advantage uh, of the trap takeout stuff. It's just fun to get stuff in the mail, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got a lot of Lego sets that I ordered just because, like, I just want a package. Mm-hmm. Just send me some Legos. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. Why go the route of making such a fun, goofy, low stakes game? Obviously, you can go any route with this that you want, but it seemed like you guys really enjoyed putting this tone of game together. That's who we are, I think. We like having fun, and we like having that moment of play added to these puzzles. You're not going to get a sense of immersion from playing the set of puzzles at home. You're not actually saving the world. You know that. So why try and force yourself down that path like the serious thing? We want you to have fun. Like, we want puzzles to be fun. We want puzzles to be enjoyable and engaging. And we're going to add some lighthearted humor into that too, because we think that just makes an um, even more fun product, at least for us. That's, it's something that's different. We don't see that a lot. And we like laughing and having a good time. I think, yeah, that's, that's a, a main, main draw of it. I think it also goes to what Mark was saying about um, the flexibility of these puzzles and you can experience them how you want. That if we build in that, that humor and that fun, it sort of lends itself well to players having fun. And there's no, you know, there's no timer on the website. There's no score system. We just want a really fun and rewarding experience. And you're being challenged. They're puzzles, like they're hard, but we want it to be fun difficult, not brain burning or doing homework difficult. We just want this to be, make it all feel more accessible, kind of take itself less seriously. I think puzzles as a whole and as a culture does tend toward the cerebral, you know, you have to take yourself very seriously and decipher this whole cipher type thing. Like, I like keeping it very approachable. And even if our puzzles, some of them are difficult as long as those hints supplement it. So kind of anyone can play it. I think that's the goal. But yeah, the short answer, like Mark said, it's just us as a company. We just don't take ourselves very seriously. And I think Everything we've ever made, our dozens and dozens of experiences all have at least some puns in them. Like, we just can't help it. I, I've i been working on writing a book for an outside company, and I was like, okay, this isn't a trap thing. I can't make every answer a pun. And it still is. I can't. Like, I just can't help myself. So, um, so yeah, it's just, just us having fun. And 
with Taco Tuesday in particular, the design process was a lot like how it played. Mark and I just were bouncing ideas back and forth, bouncing things back and forth. And it was just, a lot of it is just trying to make each other laugh and then it ends up in the puzzle and, you know, and so, yeah, we just like making things silly and fun rather than serious and fun. So we've noticed that you guys play a lot with the format of your games, as we've noticed throughout all the different varying games you've made. Why do you guys do that? Takeout is kind of inherently experimental. I don't want to say we don't know what we're doing. Like we know how to design things, but we are not at heart a production and distribution network hub thing. Like we're not a publishing company. And with our audience, with the types of people who like us and like our things, they like a really wide variety of puzzles. So it kind of gave us the freedom to make each project its own thing. So the Spielberger box set and the Retro Red Pizza Adventure are a little more comparable in structure. But Taco Tuesday is definitely unique in the two halves. And that came up out of, it was the pandemic, right? We wanted to do things that could be played remotely because we got that feedback from pizza that it was like, I really liked playing these, but I really miss my family. And I really want an experience I can play with my family. Um, so that's where Taco Tuesday came from is we wanted something, you know, obviously it can exist outside of the pandemic, but it was really because of the pandemic that we wanted something that you could play over Zoom and be working together, not just doing the same puzzles in different locations, but actually doing a unique puzzle that you both needed to collaborate on. And then the puzzle that we're launching today or the product that we're launching today is a another different structure. It's structured more like um, an advent calendar where you're doing a puzzle a day, counting down to an important um, event or occasion like Christmas, but you don't have to do it for Christmas. <laughs> um, but it, if you got one now, you'd get it in time for Christmas type of thing. Yeah. And we'll probably continue to do that. Um, obviously some products will be more straightforward. It's an escape room in a box, you know, it's a puzzle box, like a lot of puzzle boxes, but because we're so small and flexible, it gives us a lot more freedom to play with the structure of it. And we don't have to worry as much about like, oh, but does this fit in this line and this precedent that we've set? We can just kind of make each thing its own special experience. It's a big push we kind of had when we pivoted to things during the pandemic. We had to close our physical locations down and try to look at like what we could do. So we have all the audio rooms and trap takeout. We had some had an, uh, an avatar room and the puzzle hunts and stuff that we've done during that time. And whenever we did stuff, we really had that kind of cognizant thought of how can we utilize this medium in a way that we can't in our physical rooms? So what are things that we can do that we can't do in our, you know, the cool physical spaces? So like our audio rooms, how do we capitalize on the fact that I don't, I don't care about physics or time or location and all of those sorts of things. How do I maximize the play space that we have there despite its limitations? Um, you know, I can give players superpowers. I can make you travel through time and manipulate time in cool ways. I can have a whole bunch of actors that one narrator plays that we can't afford to do in a physical room. Um, the same way with like tra or with Taco Tuesday. It was the, how do we make this cool thing? How do we make a game that is inherently played by people that aren't at the same location? What does that look like? How do we structure that experience? And I'm, I, I really just love Taco. I think it does some cool Me stuff too. and it forces people to think about how to solve puzzles in a very different way. Also, as much as we like making new and unique things, there's a good chance that at some point, Mark and I will make another thing the same structure as Taco. Oh, we I just, hope so. We I had so it, much yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. 
no, there's a lot of communication puzzles that I would love to do that that Taco, I think, really does well. Exactly. And it's just my jam. Mark and I played through all the, like, we were here games. And then also, when I make Legos or Lego, I really like to, my partner and I, one will have the instructions and the other will build it. And we'll have, like, a GM screen in the middle. So we even make just building Legos into a puzzle communication challenge or games like, I don't know if you've played Team 3, but that's another one that... Um, kind of a communication thing. Add Team yeah. 3 to your list. It's great. Yeah, you should add Team 3 to your list. So in your opinion, what makes the difference in a good puzzle to a great puzzle? For me, the difference between a good puzzle and a great puzzle, and Mark and I talk at length about this because we'll do like the MIT puzzle hunts and stuff together. And after every puzzle, we like talk about it and like, what did we like? What did we like about that? So, um, but for me, it comes down to kind of the elegance of it. I want there to be lots of details that feel like noise and then they all come together. So if there's a receipt, I really want the prices to end up mattering. I want the items to end up mattering. I want it all to sort of come together, but also be diegetic. So, and that's really hard as a puzzle designer, especially in physical escape rooms, even more than tabletop experiences, is to make a world feel fleshed out without having red herrings. So that to me is what makes a great puzzle is having these really detailed worlds, but have all of it matter. I have really different thoughts on red herrings than a lot of people. And it's probably because I was a, my background is in theatrical props and like set design. So I sort of think everything that's there should serve what's happening. And if it's not necessary and it distracts, get rid of it. But if it's not necessary and not distracting, I think it can stay. Um, and that's where a lot of puzzlers are like, if you don't use it, it shouldn't be there. Um, but I digress. But yeah, Mark, you should talk because you're better at talking. But you uh, you hit it right on the head. I think that's a, a big part of it is you start off getting lots of things that you just don't know what to do with. But in the end, everything is useful and everything has a purpose. And you can follow that kind of line of thinking that whoever made this puzzle went on when they made it. Like, I hope you think about things like this and I hope you kind of chain these things together. I've often said, like, I would rather have a good puzzle that's too short and too easy and I kind of forget about than a puzzle that's is reaching but doesn't quite hit it and is too difficult and I just, I get frustrated and I can't think about anything else. Like, it just ruins the energy and flow of stuff. So I, as much as I love talking about, like, good versus great puzzles, good puzzles are still good. Like, I'm, I'm not mad at a good puzzle. But yeah, hitting that great puzzle, it's, it's sometimes flash in the pan. Uh, you just try something and sometimes it works and sometimes you try something and I have, I have my, on my, uh, Dropbox, a puzzle graveyard folder that I shovel the puzzles that are like, here's a good idea that just doesn't work right now. It for it, like, I can't figure out how to make it work or it doesn't fit the, the what we're doing. Like, we want a bunch of 15, 20 minute puzzles, and this one's an hour. It goes in the puzzle graveyard. I'll find a spot for it later, or as I've had more time to think about it, it'll come back out. So I think that's uh, another trick of because we design so much stuff, I have that luxury of being able to just save stuff all the time and like know that'll be I'll use it in the future. I don't need to shove it in now. I'll find something that works better now. I think that's also part of what's really kind of works a lot with trapped puzzles is that I think we try, not that other puzzle companies don't do this, obviously, but we, it's really important to us that the content of the puzzle and the structure of the puzzle feels thematic. So obviously the content is going to be thematic because it'd be almost weird if it wasn't, but it's also important to us that the structure of puzzles makes sense with that experience beyond stuff like Taco Tuesday, where the structure is so part of it. Um, but even in our other things, we've had puzzles that are like, this is so good, 
but it feels like it wants to be in like a crunchier experience or it feels like it wants to be in something different. So we'll scrap it and save it, you know, and we save those things. But um, yeah, and that was a big thing with our one that's coming out, um, that's coming out right now. Our new takeout uh, is that the puzzles all wanted to be about the same length. Um, there's a lot of variety within that because again, it's not a physical escape room where you have a really, you have a timer, you know? So if we say, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, it takes you 17 minutes, it doesn't matter, but um, that we wanted them all to feel the mat, you know, the flavor text should make sense, but be interesting, but also sort of cue up the answer, but it also should kind of give you a hint or a starting point without feeling like it's giving you a hint or a starting point. And then the structure of the puzzle, where ideally both the structure and the content are thematic. And then the answer ideally is also thematic, but then obviously the best puzzles like have thematic answers, but then build to something with the meta, which is always just super hard to do, but so satisfying when it's done well. But I think that's it for us. I think there are specific puzzles that are Mark and my like puzzles we will never, ever, ever forget. But even then, it's not necessarily because they're good puzzles, but because something about it is so memorable. I hope he's thinking about the same puzzle that I am. Wait, what am I thinking I, of, Mark? I don't even know what context. We're talking about so many different contexts. Like, I'm talking about an MIT puzzle. No. Um, was it MIT or Galactic? It became our national oh, anthem, Mark. <laughs> it became our anthem. Um, uh, it's in uh, Galactic Puzzle Hunt's 2019 hunt. It's called Unsafe. It is a text adventure puzzle. It is one of the best things I've ever played, and it gave me the most. We it took us, I think, like ten or twelve hours collectively to solve it. It was a long. Puzzle, we also we also needed a hint on it because we didn't just yeah. like Google things. But, but uh, once we got that, w- once we had the the first aha moment, we got the second one. The hint we we I don't think we ever would have gotten, but was I was not mad at it. it. We were stumbling around in the dark for like four or five hours, which again, puzzle hunt style puzzle. They're designed to be like these yeah. long things. Like that's part of the part of the buy-in when you do these. Oh, but it was such a, like, we got to points like, can we do this? Oh, we can do this. Oh, we did that. And then the whole puzzle opens up and it was just amazing. Uh, I think it also, that kind of something you said kind of clues into not necessarily the difference between a good puzzle and a great puzzle, but kind of a good puzzle and a bad puzzle is when you get a hint, that feeling of that's cool. I should have figured that out. Like that's a good puzzle. It's always the worst when you get a hint and you're like, really? I mean... Maybe I would have thought of that, but you know, when you can just tell that it's like, and I do this sometimes, it's like, this is how my brain works. So this is really obvious. I'll design this puzzle and people know to do this because that's what I would do, but everybody's brains work differently. And that's where, you know, play testing is really important. And that's where I think the bad puzzles come in is you can just tell they weren't play tested enough um, and weren't seen by enough eyeballs. But I think we're just very cognizant of that again, being such a small company that we try to make sure that it makes sense to not just our specific troop of brains. Yeah, so. we've run a lot of the stuff too. So we see a lot of players play stuff, which is nice. Uh, I used to run our Mystery Night series, which is similar to Trap Takeout, but it's like a mix between Escape Room, Trap Takeout, and uh, pub, pub trivia. So we'd play them in local bars and stuff. People would come for like two and a half hours and play through a bunch of puzzles in a, in a big wooden crate that they'd have to unlock throughout a course of night. But be able to watch people play those and kind of get their feedback has been really nice. And yeah, to piggyback what Amy said, I always want people that when I give them a, a nudge is what I would call them because people hate hints and they love nudges and they're the exact same thing. Um, but I give them a nudge and they go, oh, like that, like the light bulb dawns off and they like feel like that, like I, I, like, I should have seen that. That's always great. Where, yeah, the moment when they go, who would have thought of that is just like my heart sinks and like 
I need to design it better. I need to put more things. Uh, there's needs to be a better hint in the puzzle somewhere. And you know, we go back and tweak it a little bit and try to make it a better puzzle. I'm emotionally invested in you succeeding at anything that I'm watching as a puzzle. So people think like, must be fun watching people get stumped by your puzzles. Like that's the worst feeling ever. I never want that. I want you to succeed. I'm your biggest cheerleader when you're doing something that I've made every time. We know that we've been tiptoeing around this Advent game the entire uh, recording. Tell us a little bit more about it, because we know it's coming out actually very soon, um, as well as maybe some other future products, uh, as much or as little as you'd like to tell us. Yeah. So, yep, the Confectionery Countdown uh, came out on November 5th. <laughs> and uh, like I said, it's um, a box of puzzles. You can do a puzzle a day, counting down to an event or something exciting. It's thirty nine ninety five. Or you can do it in gorge mode and just play a bunch of puzzles at once because you want to do that. And that's fine too. We don't care either way. You just have fun doing puzzles. So that's next for takeout. We do, we have some talks about um, future products. So the one thing that I will just say, um, because we're a very small, very adaptive company, um, we don't have a lot of long-term plans. We sort of look one project in advance. Um, so some of our, like, this is what's on the horizon might not be super satisfying because it's like, this is what we're doing next. And after that is just a wasteland of questions. We do have one project that we're looking to see if we can launch in December, which would be, um, the mystery nights that Mark talked about seeing if we can convert one of our mystery nights to be a takeout. So again, the puzzle, the structure is similar. They're both designed to be played on a table, but like we said, it's really important to us that every experience that's the best way you can experience it. You don't want to play an in-person escape room and be like, these are all paper puzzles. I could have done this on a table. You know, like it needs to take advantage of the medium. So that's what we're working on figuring out if we can convert the mystery night to a takeout in a satisfying way. So that would be what's next. Otherwise we'll look at, we're looking at next year potentially dipping into the world of Kickstarters. So we might have to start planning further in advance for things. Um, right now, everything is produced and packed. Well, you know, we order some components, but everything is assembled and shipped from my house. So um, as we scale up, that might have to change. But for people who are local, any listeners who are local to Minneapolis or St. Paul, we're opening a new escape room, probably the week of Thanksgiving um, or just before Thanksgiving. Um, we start the load-in on Monday. So that is called Robot Rampage. And it's, you know, there's a good AI and a bad AI, and you need to save humanity. Those high stakes that we were talking about. Um, <laughs> we have so, to go, like, relatively low stakes, the highest possible. It's everything, yep. There's no middle have, ground. Yep. You have to save the universe, or you need guacamole. Like, right. it's yep. one or that's, the other. That's the range. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think honestly, I didn't say this earlier, but we were talking about those stakes. I think part of that and why trapped is or trap takeout is a little more lighthearted is again, it was the middle of the pandemic. I think people yep. needed something a little bit more lighthearted, but yeah, some of our escape rooms are pretty, some are, you know, the steal a thing, do a thing, but yeah, it tends to be save the universe. Mark, you should talk about escape from escape Island. Yeah, so uh, we had a room called Escape from Escape Island, one of our audio experiences that we did for Recon, the reality escape convention in August. In the in the past, I don't know, time is no longer a thing, um, that we are launching, or uh, oh, hopefully we're launching. Again, we have so many plates in here right now that I, I, we think we know where everything's going to land uh, in, in early December uh, for everyone to play at home. And that is, uh, I'm really excited about it. We got to do some really 
cool. I don't want to spoil anything because it's such a, it just, it, it does weird, wacky things. And if you've played any of our audio rooms, I think uh, this will give you something that you just haven't seen before. Uh, if you haven't, we've got all of our other audio rooms still up. We've got seven of them, eight of them, all up and running. Uh, you can play any of those you want. Uh, we love playing those with people. We just did a whole bunch with a bunch of students uh, on Wednesday. We did uh, three classes in a row and played a bunch of games with them and talked to them about it. So, uh, you know, we love running. They're, they're some of my favorite things to run because I get to interact with players and, and play along with them, which, is, which can be a lot of fun. Uh, especially on the new one. Escape from Escape Island is something something special. I would love for you to play it. Escape from Escape Island, as someone who's not involved with the design of the audio room, so I just get to play them, Escape from Escape Island is my favorite of our rooms. And I feel like I can say that, again, objectively, because I'm not involved. And that's, <laughs> that's even beating Monster Smash with, like, I didn't think a room could beat Monster Smash because monsters are, like, my life. But I think this one, I, I like it even better than Monster Smash. It's just the best. It's so cute. I think it's especially cool for, I think everyone will like it, but I think especially experienced puzzlers um, and puzzle type people will get a huge kick out of it. And finally, what else do you guys love to play? We realize this is a podcast and you guys can't see the screen, but behind Amy's camera right now is a wall of epic board games. And we can also see some stuff on Mark's screen as well, but as little or as much as you want, what should we be playing? What should our listeners be checking out? Yeah, like when we like, I mean, I look at each other like, who's who's gonna start? Because once we start, we're not gonna start. I know. Um, uh, let's see. So, okay, so board games. Like I said, if we're talking in the in the realm of Taco Tuesday, definitely. If you like games like Team Three and stuff, Taco Tuesday might kind of be your jam. But I mean, I could talk all day about board games I like, but then you only think about like, what did I just play? Like, right, yeah. Mark and I played just recently we went to this cabin in the woods with a bunch of friends and played board games and we played a lot of the crew so the crew is definitely in our brains right now we like that a lot um i think I, okay so side note i think i like games like the crew because i like games that are like here are the rules do it but then you sort of realize like those aren't all the rules we kind of have to figure this out and the crew and games like hanabi um games that when you play them you sort of realize the unspoken rules I just love those. Again, meta meta layers and things. I've been playing a lot of Stardew Valley because it's my therapy when I'm getting overwhelmed is I just play Stardew Valley. I play um, at least so, once a year. Yep, yep, yeah. So I'm yep. really excited for Haunted Chocolatier. I've also been playing a lot of Phasmophobia. So yeah. yeah. So it's playing the, a lot, a lot of Phasmophobia. Yep. It's the season. Yeah. So I hate spooky things. I am the person that sits in the van for most of it or runs in and doesn't know where to hide. I, I once hid in a doorway, <laughs> the doorway, but hid, and then my friends came back and tried to find me. It's like, oh, you just died in a doorway. You're like, yeah, I was crouched in a doorway, which was the worst place to hide. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, yeah, I played a lot of phasmophobia. I also, if we're starting out like escape rooms too, I just recently finally got out to Denver. So I got to do rabbit hole and all those awesomeness, but I really liked Homicide Hotel. Um, but again, I'm the opposite of Mark. I love spooky things. I love gory things. I'm designing a murder house just for fun. I doubt Tract will build it. I'm just having fun designing a murder house. <laughs> so um, that's where I'm at. Um, Mark, you should talk more because I'm like, I'm so excited right now. Yeah, no, I, I like continue to like add to my list as we're talking about it, like of the things we talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Amy, and I talked about we do, uh, we have a, a puzzle hunt team 
uh, that we play Puzzle Hunts on that Matty Hunt and the Galactic Puzzle Hunter are our favorites. And when I say team, there's like four of us. Uh, it's, it's not mostly just us. It's mostly just <laughs> Amy and I. Last year for the MIT Hunt, we got a few friends that we conned into coming over. I think we had like 10 people for the weekend. <laughs> and we got like 60 puzzles in, which we felt good about. Um, but yeah, we play them just for fun. We're not trying to win. Not even close. Another thing on the vein of Team 3 was the Search for Planet X. I really love. Um, that's a... Or the... Yep. The cryptid one too. Cryptid, yep. Also, mm-hmm. cryptid's very good. I think the Search for Planet X I really love because I can play that with just about anyone because it's got some nice variability on difficulty. So I can play it super hard and I can play it with my husband who plays it on super easy and we can both have a really nice time playing it together and not to feel like we're, you know, I'm I'm like just playing along so he has a good time or, or whatever it is. That's been really, really nice for us. Play a lot of role-playing games, uh, as many of those as I can. I never get enough of that. Uh, which is kind of evident in the audio rooms that we do. Like, they're, they're very role-playing adjacent. If you haven't played Alice is Missing, you should definitely play Alice is Missing. It's the best thing I've ever played ever. It's in terms so good. Of it is phenomenal. I will say, if you are the type of role-player that really likes the, like, tactical combat side of the, that, mm-hmm. this is the, just the exact opposite. It is a very emotional experience. It is one of the most beautiful storytelling things I've ever played. Um, mm. One of the most beautiful narratives I've ever, ever experienced. And it's, I mean... It doesn't have essentially a narrative. It's a guided storytelling, and it was it was amazing. I love it. Play it, buy it. It's great. Um, love it. Can't talk more. It's so good. It's so good. Probably my favorite gaming experience I've ever had was playing that that game. Oh, I also really love big social deduction games, um, mm. and also making big games. So I have a, a copy of uh, Two Rooms and a Boom that I have made with the the print and play as well as adding some stuff to it. I think it's got like 120 characters at this point in the, in this point. It's this huge box. Um, I made a big werewolf set uh, for we went to the cabin in the woods and played that. It's got 45 some characters in it. And now there's a whiteboard behind me that's got like little, you can keep track of things. And I'm, I really like, I love social deduction games, but I also like making, for some reason, making big versions of them. I don't know why. Okay, I talked for a while. Go, Amy. I saw a few things, but we'll get back to me later. Go. Or big versions of not big games, like your copy of Toot Toot or whatever. Tutu. Um, what is, I, what what is, is it, it actually called? called? Something rail? rail? Is it rail pass? Rail pass? I think we always it's call called toot toot. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I've been playing mostly video games and stuff lately, uh, but I've mostly been doing research for my book. So um, haven't let myself play a lot of new things. So that's why a lot of the things that I might reference are a little bit dated. Um, but yeah. Oh, Cracks of Quedlinburg. That's a great Cracks game. Fun. Just anything kind of push your luck I also really like games like uh, paperback, like spelling games, like Scrabble, but better. Word, because that feels like puzzles. Oh, or like um, on the realm of word games, Letter Jam or Trap Words. Oh, really yeah. Really like those ones. Love yeah. In terms of video game, I play tons of video games as well. Anything Legend of Zelda, I will play until yeah. I fall asleep. I recently played through The Return of Oberdin to Amy's suggestion. And if you haven't yeah. played that one yet, I played it once and wasn't in the right mode for it. It was a little slow for me, but the second playthrough was a phenomenal. It's very good. You want a good puzzle game? Play that. Um, I've always been a big fan of the Myst series. I grew up with that. My my dad was a teacher, uh, and so for Christmas, if there was a new one, he would get it for me for Christmas, and we'd spend the week of like Christmas break with moving the TV over to the couch with a table and sitting there and playing it together. Um, and so, yeah, if you haven't played those, I play the first three. Uh, you don't need to play the last two of the series. You can just skip those. But I think those are those hold up. They have a new one called um, Obduction, uh, which came out four or five years ago now, which is quite good. And they have a new one coming out too called Firmament, which I'm excited about. That I backed on Kickstarter and should have gotten last year. They're still working on it. And that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> Just make it good. Work out as long as you want. I'll be here. Yeah. Mark, what was the jigsaw puzzle you got me? Oh, 
The um uh yeah. I'm, I'm all the listening in the audio land, I'm pointing at them and they're behind me. The Magic Puzzle <laughs> Company. The Magic Puzzle Company puzzles. So good. And I'm not like huge into jigsaw puzzles, but they're a nice I am. They were just a lot of fun. They're cute and ton of fun. And if you only want one of them, get the magic one. The Mystic Maze is is the best one. Hands down the best one. It's a ton of fun to put together. It does some cute things. It's great. I love it. I think and that's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. I will say. I've had a lot of fun. This was great. Oh. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us on. This was, I love talking about puzzles. This was a delight. Mark and Amy, we appreciate having you guys on the show. It honestly was a blast to get to talk to both of you. I love all the interviews we have, but I had a grand time talking to them about the games that we had on the show. Just as again, thank you for coming on. Jared, if you want to support them, where could you buy their games? Yeah, you can go to trappedpuzzlerooms.com. It's actually based out of Minneapolis, if Ooh. you're up in the north. Um, but you can get a host of different games there. They have, as they talked about, other games under their takeout, which is their at-home subgenre. There's a lot of different cool games in there that you can check out. But that's where you can go. You can also find them, social media, at Trapped Puzzle Rooms. So be sure to check them out. This was a really fun and a really unique game. Yeah, and you're probably asking yourself, well, Zach and Jared, we love you guys. How do we support you? Well, there's multiple different things you can do. First, Ca- cash. Cash is a very nice one. <laughs> if you want to send me money, go for it. You don't have to do that. But more importantly, Zach. The thing that we love more is for you guys to go to wherever you listen to this podcast. If that is at Apple, if that's, you know, or if that's iTunes, if that's Spotify, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, any of the formats you listen on, and just leave us a five-star review. Just tell us how much you've been loving the podcast. Um, we very much appreciate it. You can also follow us on multiple different social media platforms. One is Instagram at Puzzling Company, and the other is Facebook at Puzzling Company. Also, shoot us a message. We love talking about these games, and we have enjoyed so many good conversations with all of you just talking about the games we have on the show and things going forward. Zach, the question I always ask you, what are we playing next week? Um, um, is one of them going to be uh, involving a cat? Yes, yes, that is true. Oh my gosh, I actually know this one. Okay, so we'll be discussing. <laughs> we will be discussing uh, two different clue boxes. That's correct. From ID Venture. That's correct. What? Do you even need me anymore? Nope. Welcome to Zach's puzzling. <laughs> no, but uh, we'll be talking about Davy Jones Locker. I believe is one is what one of them's called. That's kind something? of one of the rough themes of one. Yeah, of them, yes. and then the other one's Schrodinger's cat. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, the box. You're yeah. you're all there. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be covering those next week. I'm very excited to talk about them. It's going to be fun. Uh, well, this is going to be it for Puzzling Company for this episode. For Jared and Zach, we will see you guys next week. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.